0: All right, let's take our Bibles this morning. We're going to turn back to the Old Testament, to the book of Exodus, just the second book of the Bible. Exodus chapter 3 is where we will begin today. Uh, I will say at the outset here that the, the message, at least the, kind of the, the format of the message, is maybe a little bit different than I would normally preach, especially on a, a Sunday morning. But I just wanted to share with you some things that as I was reading through the scriptures here uh, just some things that really stood out to me and and I started kind of digging into these things and just making some connections between what what we often do seeing what the the children of Israel the nation of Israel and and some parallels between them and even us today sometimes as as New Testament Christians and so we're going to Look here in Exodus 3 and we're going to hold our place here because we'll be back a couple of times, but we're going to walk through some other scriptures as well. So I would encourage you to be ready to do some turning and some flipping in your Bible. If you're not real comfortable with that, maybe just take some notes down so you can read these things later and, uh, and, and uh, search these things out for yourself. So if you're in Exodus chapter 3, if you would stand with me for the reading of the scripture, we're going to begin in verse number 1 Verse number four says, this isn't the message, but notice the wording, and when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush. I think there's something for us to, to glean out of that and maybe consider that it's possible that the Lord is sometimes waiting for us to turn our attention toward him before he's ready to speak to us. And I hope our hearts this morning are, are turned toward him and, and that we, we've just turned aside to see what the Lord has for us today, that he would speak to us. So the Lord, in verse 4, then called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. This is God introducing himself to Moses. He's just told him who he is. And I want you to notice the next thing that he says, verse number 7. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows, and I am come down to deliver them. "...out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land, unto a good land, and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I also have seen the oppression, wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them." Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning I pray as we look into your word, that you would give us understanding. Lord, as we heard in the Sunday school hour, that you would would shine the light on your word and that by your spirit that you would speak to us, Lord, and, and give us the illumination and understanding of the things that you would have us To receive here today, I pray that today our our view, our concept of God, our worldview as it relates to you would be challenged by the scriptures. And that today we would begin to see you maybe more than we ever have before for who you are and who you have revealed yourself to be. And so, Lord, would you speak to our hearts today and, and draw us unto yourself through the scriptures, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I mentioned a moment ago that this passage of Scripture was really Moses' first introduction to God. He had known about the Lord. He had been taught, no doubt, by his, his mother as she was cared for him before he was turned over to Pharaoh's daughter, That the, uh, the things of the Lord and the history of the Lord. But here in Exodus chapter 3, he has a, uh, an encounter with God, and God introduces himself, he reveals himself to Moses there in the burning bush. And I want you to, to notice some things that we see about the Lord that he, in the way that he revealed himself to Moses right off the bat. Look at verse number 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. He reveals himself, the Lord reveals himself here to Moses as a, as a God of compassion, a God of love, and a God who is seeking to deliver his people. And then we read on and he says in verse number 8, am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large Unto a land flowing with milk and honey. He reveals himself here not only as a, a God of compassion and a God of deliverance, but he is also revealing himself as a God of blessing. I want to bring my people out of their bondage. I want to bring them out of their trial. I want to bring them out of the pain that they're in today. And I want to deliver them not only out of that into the wilderness, but I want to bring them into a, a, a good place, a good land. And I want to bless them. And, and I want to do good things for them there. And then he says, and it may not seem real significant to you, but he says in at uh, the end of verse number 8 that it is unto the place Of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. You say, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, what the Lord is saying to him is that not only am I coming to deliver my people, not only am I going to bring them into a good land, but I'm going to bring them to the land that I promised to their fathers. The land of Canaan. In other words, God is revealing himself not only as a God of compassion, not only as a God who desires to bless them, but a God who is faithful to fulfill his promises, that it is now the time that the Lord is going to to fulfill the, the covenant that he made with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. And so from this, Moses should have understood some things about God, as God says, Moses here is... Who I am. This is, I am the God of your fathers. I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob. And from what he said, Moses should have made some conclusions and come to some conclusions about the Lord. First of all, that he is good. That the Lord God of my fathers is a good God. Now this is different than the gods that Moses was familiar with, the gods of Egypt. They lived their lives in in Egypt in that time, and certainly even today, all around the world, you find people who are living their lives trying to appease the spirits and appease the gods. Because if I do something to anger the gods or, or the spirits, they're going to uh, they're gonna curse me. But if I can appease them in some way, maybe they'll bless me. This is the mindset of the heathen. And this is what Moses would have been familiar with. But now the Lord is revealing himself to Moses as something, a, a God who is totally different than any other God. A God that is seeking the well-being of his people. And Moses should have thought immediately, this God is good. The Lord who is above all, he is a, a, a good God. Secondly, he should have concluded that blessings come from God. Notice again, he, the, the Lord said that he wanted to bring his people into a promised land, a, a land that was flowing with milk and honey, a, a, a place where they would have all of their needs met, a place where uh, they, would, they would have reprieve from the hard labor that they had been uh, serving under. The Bible tells us in, in the book of James, in verse seven, chapter 1, verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Did you know that every good thing in your life today is because of the good blessings of God in your life? Every good thing that we possess... Uh, the, the the air that we breathe, the food that we eat, the, the house that he's given us to live in, the family that we have, the, the, the sunshine outside today, the beautiful weather, this church and church family and, and friendships and fellowship and, and all of the good things of life. It is only because God has blessed us with those things. God is a God of blessing. So he's a good God and, and he's a God of blessing and And and, and since he is a a God who keeps his promises and fulfills his promises, Moses should have concluded that this God can be trusted. That if he is seeking to to bless me and and do good for me and and help me in my life, he's not looking to to destroy his people. He's not looking to lower the hammer on me. But he really desires to do that, which is good. I can trust the heart of my God ...to do that which is best for me. Moses should have been able to conclude those things. But I want you to go forward maybe a page or two... ...to the book of Exodus, but chapter number five. Chapter five. So the rest of chapter three and most of chapter four... ...is actually Moses arguing with the Lord... ...about why he's not the man that should be going back into Egypt. But the Lord finally convinces him... ...and he sends Moses and Aaron back into Egypt... Uh, ...where where they're going to confront Pharaoh. Chapter 5, they do that. Verse number 1. And afterward, Moses and Aaron went in... ...and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel... ...let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord... ...that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Now... Maybe it's just because I'm a New Testament Baptist preacher. But if there was a, a ruler that said, who is the Lord? I know not the Lord. I, think th- I, I would look at that and think, boy, that's an opportunity right there. Let me tell you about him. Let me tell you what I know about the Lord. <clears throat> but obviously, this is kind of a scorning statement. Who is the Lord? I, I'm not going to listen to this Jehovah, right? But notice in verse number three, Moses' response to Pharaoh, And they said, the God of the Hebrews hath met with us, let us go, we pray thee, three days journey into the desert, and sacrifice unto the Lord our God, listen to their reasoning, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, that's not the, that's not the reasoning that the Lord gave that they ought to obey him. He didn't say, you know, you better better do what I say and come out of the promised land or else I'm going to fall upon you with pestilence and sword. No, actually the message was entirely different. He said, I've seen the affliction that you're under today and I have something better for you. If you'll just simply follow me, there is something better for you if you'll be obedient to me. But here Moses is now presenting God to Pharaoh as though he's some kind of a a a cruel God, a a God that is looking to to destroy his people. Uh, Pharaoh, please be merciful to us and deliver us from our God, is essentially what he's saying. If you don't allow us to do this, God's going to kill us. And so he's really looking to Pharaoh, hoping for mercy, when he should have been looking to the Lord, understanding that it's the Lord who's merciful, not Pharaoh. And so... He's got this idea in his mind, he's presenting, he's communicating something about God that God had not communicated to him. There was confusion. There was misunderstanding of the heart of God. Now I want to take a moment here and and just clarify something because it's possible that as as I preach about this and talk about this that you may come to the, the idea that somehow I'm saying that you know, God is a God that uh, he, he is love and therefore he, he, he isn't just and he doesn't judge sin and, and folks, that's not true at all and, and God is a God to be feared and, and God is a God of justice and, and he does punish sin and sinners. The Bible says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Psalm 7 and verse 11 says, God judgeth the righteous and God is angry with the wicked every day. Exodus 34 and verse 7 says he, he's keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers uh, upon the children and upon the children's children under the third and fourth generations. Uh, generation, Jesus asked the, the Pharisees, who have warned you to flee from the wrath to come. So I'm not saying here this morning that ...that God does not judge sin... ...or that God is somehow not just... ...and and He's only a God of love... ...and only a God of blessing. I'm not saying that at all. In fact, if you're here today... ...and you are not right with God... ...and you are still living in your sin... ...you do have things to fear... ...because there is a day of judgment coming. There is a day of reckoning coming. And God is just... ...and He will judge sin. And and you are to flee from the, the wrath to come. But I want you to know... That though God is just, and though God will punish sinners, and though God is angry with the wicked every day, somehow, though my human mind can't fully grasp this, he still loves sinners. He cares about you. In fact, he cares so much about you that he was willing to give himself and sacrifice himself and receive and take your punishment upon himself So that you could be delivered and brought out and and made a child of God, made part of his kingdom. What a a tremendous blessing that is. What I'm trying to say this morning is that we need to be careful not to allow uh, maybe some past experiences or, or some misguided teaching perhaps to give us a false view of God that is different than how the Lord has presented himself to us. I believe that God wanted his people to know that he was a good God, that he was a God that wanted to bless them, and that he was a God who is faithful and keeps his promises. And yet somehow they misunderstood and and came to this conclusion in their mind, if we don't do exactly what God wants us to do, he's going to kill us. (laughs) He's going to come against us. And I, I would propose to you that this was not an Old Testament problem. I know many people, many born again Christians, children of God today, who live their lives in fear that if I get a little bit out of line, God's going to lower the hammer on me. If I don't do things just exactly right, that somehow my life is going to be totally destroyed. I just want you to know, it is true that God chastens His children. If you get out of the will of God, you you can be ready to 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 receive maybe some difficult circumstances in your life because God is working to bring His children back to Himself. But the Bible also says that, like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear Him. You know, I, I. I have seven children, and I love them with all of my being, and I would do anything for them, and I would give myself completely for them. I would give my life to save theirs. You know what I mean? I would do that. But because I love them, when they get out of line, I have the responsibility to bring some difficulty into their life to try and encourage them to do what is right. And as a loving father... I discipline my children, not because I'm angry with them, not because I hate them, but because I love them, because, I'm, I, because I want them to do right. I want to bring about that peaceable fruit of righteousness in their lives. And the Lord is the same way for us as his children. Yes, there there are consequences for sin, but folks, let us never come to the point where we think that somehow God is in heaven as some kind of a cruel overlord that looks down on us just waiting for the the moment that he has he he has justification to come down on us with a heavy hand that is not the god of the bible god is good god loves you he cares about you and he wants to bless you he does he he wants to save the lost he he wants to bless his children. In fact, he has blessed us in so many ways. But I want you to recognize, maybe you look at this and you think, well, th- I mean, that's just one little verse. And, and you know, I, I don't think that you're, maybe you're reading into something that's not there. But lest you think that, let's go over to Numbers chapter 14. Numbers 14. And I want to show you that I, I really believe that this was a problem, not only in Moses initially, but also in the entire nation, the entire congregation of Israel. In Numbers chapter 13, the, the 12 spies have returned from the land of Canaan after spying out the land. you know the story and what happened there is 10 of those spies came back and said, you know, there's no way that, that we're going to be able to conquer this, the, the people of the land are giants and... It's just too difficult for us to overcome. And of course then Joshua and Caleb, two of the spies, said, No, the, the Lord, he'll deliver them into our hands. But the people obviously would not obey and, and, and were too fearful. But look at verse number 1 of chapter 14 here in Numbers. It says, And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried. And the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron... And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God that we had died in this wilderness? You know what they're saying? We would have rather died as slaves in Egypt than face what we're facing today. And look at verse number 3. And wherefore hath the Lord brought us out unto this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey. You know what these people are saying? I know why God brought us out of Egypt. Because he wanted us to die right here in this wilderness. I, the, the, the reason that the Lord brought us out was because he just he was being cruel to us. As if it wasn't bad enough that we were slaves in Egypt. He had to bring us out here to face this difficulty. What a terrible God he is. That's what they're saying. Is that why the Lord brought him out of Egypt? no no he said I'm bringing them out so that I can bring them into a good land and I've got something better for them but you see the people didn't believe that God was working for their good they didn't really believe that and I believe that there were consequences there was confusion but there were consequences also to this wrong view of God there there misguided view of the Lord, their, their worldview that was so influenced by this idea that God is, is not a benevolent, loving, heavenly Father, but one who is, who is cruel, that, that misguided view of God led them ultimately to distrust and bitterness and anger. You go through the history there and the time of their wilderness wanderings and you find over and over and over again every time a problem arose they expressed a discontentment with their circumstances they were not content with God's blessings in their life in fact again if you go back with me to exodus and this is the part where i said we're going to we're going to do a little bit of turning but exodus chapter number 14 they they've they've left egypt here and they're in the wilderness and the first challenge that they face in the wilderness is when they come up against the Red Sea and, and the, the, the armies of Egypt are pursuing behind them and they're pinned in against the Red Sea. That's the first, first challenge that they face. And in verse number 10 of Exodus 14 it says, And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them And they were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, and they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us, to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Does this sound familiar? I think we just read that a moment ago but it was a different circumstance a a different time a different situation and yet the same conclusion why would god do this why would god allow me to go through this it would have just been better if we were never even really never even saved that's kind of the idea this is a picture of of salvation deliverance from bondage and sin and really what they're saying is we should have just stayed there in our in our bondage, afflicted by our taskmasters and, and miserable. I would have rather been there than facing the difficulty of the day. They were discontent with their circumstance. Go forward, though, to chapter 15, verse number 23. It says, And when they came to Mara, they could not drink of the waters of Mara, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Mara. And the people murmured... "...against Moses, saying, What shall we drink?" Complaining, again. Chapter 16, verse number 1, "...they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came unto the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness." And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full. For ye brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. (laughs) It's almost like, you know, you could almost copy and paste this from one chapter to the next chapter to the next chapter. Here was the, the overarching theme. Moses, we liked it in Egypt. I think they were forgetful. <laughs> what, what did God say? I've heard their cry by reason of their taskmaster. I've seen their oppression. I've, I've seen the bondage. I've seen how cruelly they're being treated. I've seen the injustice. And i am come to deliver them. And they say, God, why would you do that? We liked it there. I mean, it wasn't perfect. But at least we had food to eat, water to drink by the way, in all of these circumstances, all of these problems, did God have a solution? Every time he had a solution. If, if rather than complaining about their circumstances, they would have looked to him and said, Okay, Lord, what is it you're trying to do here? What is it you're trying to teach me? What is it you're trying to show me? What is the solution to this problem? They would have found it. But instead, they, they resorted to complaining. You know, I think sometimes we complain and we become discontent with our circumstances... Because rather than viewing God as he is, we view him as someone who's unfair and unkind. You know, there are actually a lot of people, maybe they won't admit it, but the truth is they're afraid to trust God and step out in faith because they don't really believe that he has their best interest in mind. If you really believe that God is who he says he is, that he is good, that his way is best, and that all things work together for good, you would have no fear to trust him and follow him. If you knew that God wanted the best for your life, you'd follow him and obey him. Amen. And the only reason we don't is because we, we really don't trust him. We don't really trust his heart. We, we don't think that he has our best interest in mind. And so they complained about their circumstances. Anytime that something didn't quite go their way, they complained rather than looking to God for help and direction. They blamed him and showed an attitude of entitlement. When they they faced trials, they, they should have looked to God and seeking to understand his purpose, trusting that he was working for their good because we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. But instead they complained. They didn't really see God for his goodness. They saw him simply for the problems that they faced. They saw God as simply a means to an end. They wanted the blessings, but they didn't want God. <laughs> so when they weren't seeing the blessings really at hand, they complained against God. So their, their false view of God, their wrong view of God, resulted in a discontentment with their circumstances, but it also caused them to become bitter against Him. Go, if you would, just briefly to Numbers, chapter 21. I know, again, we're flipping back and forth a lot, but I want to show you that this is is a pattern that we see here. Numbers, chapter 21. It says, And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea, verse 4, to compass the land of Edom, and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way, and the people spake against God and against Moses. And what did they say? Well, copy and paste from what we saw before. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. They're talking about manna. Now wait a second. They just said there wasn't anything to eat, and then they point to the food that they have and said, we're kind of sick of this. Uh, had a cousin one time, uh, someone, someone from the church was over at their house and, and my cousin was, I think, a young teenager at the time and, and going through the cupboards and looking for a snack or something like that and didn't find anything that she liked and so she just, oh, we've never got anything to eat in this house. A couple of days later, people from the church started showing up with groceries and all kinds of food because they thought that. She was saying there wasn't anything to eat. The problem wasn't there was no food in the house. She just wasn't happy with the choices that she had. You ever been that way? That's how how they were. God was providing for their needs. They just didn't like how he was providing. They didn't like what he was providing. And so they're complaining. And it says that the people spake against God. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine someone who was delivered out of what they were delivered out of? receiving food by the hand of God every single day, receiving protection and guidance and direction. Can you imagine someone like that complaining about God? I can, because it happens all the time. Do we forget what we were brought out of? Do we forget what He delivered us from? What He brought us into and how He blesses us every day and daily loadeth us with benefits? And yet sometimes we got this attitude, boy, if God was just good to me. Friend, if you're here, if you're alive today and breathing God's air, I want you to know you're living under his blessings. You are. But they were discontent. They were bitter against God. And, And then I think probably the worst consequence of all, their misguided view of God ultimately led them to distrust And eventually to miss out on the blessings that he had intended for them. Remember, we read a moment ago in Numbers 14 where the people complaining against God, not trusting God, ultimately that was the reason that they did not go into the promised land. That's why they didn't go into the land of Canaan, because they didn't believe God. They didn't trust that he was going to do what he said he would do. And so they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And that entire generation, from 20 years old and upward, died in the wilderness and never experienced the blessings that God wanted them to experience because they didn't trust Him. Folks, I believe that there are consequences when we have the wrong view, the wrong understanding of who God is and why He does what He does. I want you to know that God does love you. That God is working for your good. And yes, sin has consequences. And, 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 and if, if you don't obey God, your life isn't going to go the way that it ought to go. And ultimately, you will stand in judgment and, and face judgment for the way that you live this life. But, but those things ought not to be our motivation for being obedient to God, ultimately. Because back in Exodus 3 where we began, if you'll go there with me... Verse number 11, it says, And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, which in itself was a pretty great promise. Amen. But he said, And this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people of Egypt, or the people out of Egypt, Ye shall serve God upon this mountain. Do you notice that he didn't say, I want you to serve me so that I can deliver you? He said, I'm going to bring you out so that you can serve me. In other words, sometimes people live life with this mindset and this idea... I've got to do certain things so that I can be accepted of God. This is the whole motivation behind works salvation, right? I've got to do this and do that and do this and do that so that maybe God will accept me. And that's not biblical at all. We come to him just as we are, sinners and broken, but with a repentant heart. Lord, I, I'm, I'm broken. I'm sinful, I'm wicked, I don't deserve your mercy, but I'm pleading for your mercy. I'm receiving the grace that you've extended. We come to him in faith and repentance, calling upon the name of the Lord, and we're saved. doesn't matter who you are or, or how bad you've messed up your life. There's no one that God can't save. He's able to save them to the uttermost who come unto God by him. So he saves us in that way, and most of us would say amen to that. We, we believe that salvation is by grace, but so often even born-again, saved people believe if I don't cross every T and dot every I just exactly right, God's never going to bless me, and, and the only way that I can really be accepted by God is if I perform enough, and that's the reason that people do what they do. That's their motivation. It's a fear motivation. And I'm just here to tell you that that's not how we ought to live our lives. We don't serve God to receive the deliverance and to receive the blessings. We serve God because we've been delivered. We serve God because we have his blessings. Because God is good and worthy to be worshipped. That's why we worship him. Amen. That's why we serve him. Because he is good. It's not by anything we've done it's not that we can look in the mirror and say, yeah, I did pretty good today, so God can bless me. No, we just come like, I was just a beggar, needing bread, and he made me a child of the king. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, it is the love of Christ that constrains us. It's the love of Christ that motivates us. It's the for we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And in that he died. In fact, let's go there. Second Corinthians chapter five. Rather, rather than trying to quote it to you and misquote something, I want you to see this. We'll close here. Second Corinthians five, chapter or verse number fourteen. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all. Then we're all dead. By the way, that includes me. I was spiritually dead. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. I was on the road to destruction. I was on the road to hell. I had no hope. But he died for me that I could be saved. Verse 15, and that he died for all. That they which live, now I live in him, should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him that died for them and rose again. The reason that I serve God ought to be because he loved me and now I love him because of what he's done for me and and I've made this judgment in my life that I was what I was, a slave in bondage to sin, but he brought me out and he delivered me And, and because of that, I want to put my life in his hands. I want to let him do with it whatever he wants to do. I don't have much to offer God, but, I, but whatever I have is his, and I want to live for him because he is good, because he loved me. And it ought to be the love of Christ that motivates us, that constrains us, that drives us to serve him. I shouldn't serve him because I'm afraid of the consequences if I don't, but rather because I love him for his goodness. I don't want my children to obey because they're afraid, if they don't, that they're going to have to wince and, and, and dad's going to come down on them. I want them to obey and do right because they, they love me and they, they, they want to do what's pleasing to me and they know that I have their best interest at heart and, and that I'm helping guide them through life. I want that to be their motivation. I, I don't want to crack the whip on my children, you know what I mean? And just make them feel like they're driven all the time. Do this, Do this. Don't do that. Now there has to be some of that. But that's not the motivation for what we do. The motivation is, son, I love you. I want what's best for your life. I want want God to use you in your life. So trust me. Follow me. Adhere to this set of rules and standards because it's what's best for you in your life, not because you're afraid of me. Folks, I just believe that as, as New Testament Christians, just as God's people all the way back there, coming out of Egypt, our heart needs to be turned to the Lord where we say, you know what, I I can trust Him because He's revealed Himself to me for who He is. He is a God of goodness, He is a God of blessing, and He's a God who keeps His promises, and He is worthy of my life.